the Lord will take our hearts and seal our hearts. And uh, He has done that when we trust in Him. And He is preparing us uh, for His courts above to worship uh, and to praise uh, Him throughout all eternity. So appreciate that song uh, this morning. Wanted to share with you today, as way of introduction, my favorite food when I have to prepare the meal. My favorite food when my wife uh, doesn't have a, a meal cooked for us. And uh, that was one of the huge blessings when I got married. I did not know, I did not know that Laura uh, was a great cook. And I guess her mom and her grandmothers had taught her well. And uh, I was pleasantly surprised to find out what a great cook uh, I had married, and so Laura cooks for us a lot, and sometimes we go out to eat, but if I have to fend for myself, my favorite thing to have is Campbell's Chunky Grilled Chicken and Sausage Gumbo. This is my go-to meal. It says on here that it is heart healthy. I have no idea if that's true or not, but I tell myself that it is, that that is uh, true advertising. I love... I love this, and uh, I eat this probably two or three times a week, uh, some weeks, maybe just once a week on a down week, but there are weeks where I will eat this uh, two or three times a week. And what I love about this is this is such a complicated meal to make because you have to, one, get the can open, and then once you get the can open, you have to dump it into your pot and then Turn up the heater. That's it. You don't even have to add water to this, uh, which all of that makes me suspicious. Can that really be healthy to my heart? Something that, that's that simple uh, to prepare. But I love this. And it tastes great. And there is very little, very little uh, preparation that goes on uh, with that. I read about a cake company a few years ago, several years back. They developed a, um, a cake mix, and they made the cakes, and they had people try the cakes to see if it was any good. And in their taste testing, people loved their cakes, loved their cakes. And it was a very simple, it was a very simple mix, and all you had to do to make this cake was add some water, and then they had everything else ready for you. That's all you had to do. And it did not sell at all, didn't sell at all. And they couldn't figure out why. The company could not figure out why did the taste testing go so well, but nobody is buying this product. Nobody's buying it. And they discovered, they discovered, well, at first, at first you didn't have to do much of anything. Uh, there was really nothing to it. They discovered that people that are cooks and chefs and, 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 and people that cook a lot at home, that they actually, if they're not at least several steps they have to do, they don't trust it. They think it can't be good. It can't be good if there are not several things that you have to do. And so this cake company, this cake company went back and reintroduced their cake mix product and they introduced some extra steps that you really didn't even really need to do, but they introduced those extra steps and voila, they begin to sell more and more and more because the cooks and the chefs, the people at home, had some actual steps that they had to do and something in their brain told them, if there is more that I have to do, that must mean the product of what I'm doing is going to be better. It's too, if it's too simple, it must not be any good. 
Did you know that is a huge human fallacy? Sometimes it's true in life that uh, simple is not good. But there are many times in life that simple is actually better, but there's something about us, and I think it's called pride. There's something about us that if there's more steps and more we have to do, the better it makes us feel about ourselves because we've actually accomplished some things. We've done more. It's an interesting character in the Bible who needed to be transformed by God. There's a man in the Bible who needed a desperate transformation, needed God to change him in a big, big way. This morning we're going to look at this man's story. And as we look at his story, we're going to see his struggle, his struggle with how simple God's instructions were. How simple God's instructions were. And this man who needed a major life transformation, as you're going to see, he needed a massive life transformation. He really struggled at how simple God's word was for what he needed. This guy's name is Naaman, and I want you to go to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5, and I want us to look at this encounter between Elisha and Naaman. Elisha and Naaman. Now, we're going to look at Naaman for two weeks uh, because there really are two very important things that happen to Naaman. Many of you may know the children's song that talks about how Naaman went and he dipped and he dipped and he dipped and he dipped and how the Lord cleansed him. We're going to look at that today. Next week, we're going to look at what happened to Naaman after the cleansing. And we are going to look at one of the most intriguing, weird, difficult, different commands or privileges given in all the Bible next week. Maybe you only know the song that Naaman dipped and he dipped and he dipped and you don't know what happened to Naaman and to Elisha and to Elisha's servant after Naaman dipped and he dipped and he dipped. So you want to come back next week because you, trust me, you're going to want to see uh, what happens to Naaman. But let's, let's not get the cart before the horse. First, let's see what happens to Naaman. Let's find out about this guy. So 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. Now Naaman is captain of the host of the king of Syria. So a warning light should be going off. Syria is bad. Syria typically is stronger than Israel. And uh, they, they are they're stronger than Israel and they often get into Israel's business and they often mess with their politics and with their life. And so Syria is always getting into little Israel and doing stuff to them. So right off the bat, wow, this is different. Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria. This is the, this is the captain of the host. This is the main general. This is the big dog in the military. The captain, the host, the king of Syria was a great man with his master and honorable and because by him, the Lord, look what the true God did. The Lord had given deliverance or given victory to Syria. Wow, they had won a great victory. And it says that God actually intervened to make sure that Naaman won this great victory that Syria experienced. He was an honorable man because by him, the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor. He did not come into this military position because uh, he just inherited it through the family. 
or because he just uh, brown-nosed the king. He got this position because he was a mighty warrior, a mighty man of valor. But look at this. But he was a leper. He was a leper. He had a horrible, horrific disease that was going to bring an end to this, this wonderful life that he was living. All right, verse 2. And so the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. They had taken captives. And one of the captives was a uh, young girl. So we don't know exactly how old, maybe uh, about the age of Catherine back there. Maybe, maybe that kind of age is kind of what I imagine in my mind. So she was a young girl. What did she do? A little maid. Well, she waited on Naaman's wife. So she was a servant to Naaman's wife. Naaman's got leprosy. Verse 3, she said unto her mistress, Would God, she said, I wish by my God, by the true God, that my Lord, that Naaman, were with the prophet that is in Samaria. For he, if Naaman was there, he would recover him of his leprosy. He says, if we could just get Naaman to the one that has the word of God, the power of God, if we could get Naaman to him, Naaman would be healed. Now that is a sign to me that Naaman is exactly what the Bible says he is, that he is an honorable man and that he is a, a, a good man, it sounds like, because here is a slave girl that is not wishing that her master would die. She is wishing that he could be healed and taken care of. And so I, I just think that's probably a little sign to us that, that Naaman uh, is a unique sort of fellow. He is a good man. He's exactly what the Bible says he is. But she says, hey, by the way, let's just face the fact the Bible tells us. The thing is, good people die too, don't they? People that we say are good men and good women. In fact, one of the hardest things in life sometimes to come to grips with are why do horrific things happen to good people? This little girl believes that there's got to be more for Naaman than just death. There's got to be more for him. So she tells her mistress. Verse 4, it says, One went in and told his Lord. They told Naaman and said, Thus and thus, they told the story, said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria, he found out about it. And so he says to Naaman, Go, go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. He said, I want you to load up the chariot, load up and take some men, and let's see if the power of God is actually with this prophet Elisha in Israel. And so they load up to go. And so Naaman departed, it says, and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. He took a mother load of wealth down there to Israel. And, verse 6, he brought the letter from his king. Syria is the big power. Israel is the little, little small power. He brought the letter to the king of Israel and said, Now when the letter is come unto thee, unto you, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to you, that thou that you may recover him of his leprosy. He, he opens the letter and the letter says, Hey, I've sent Naaman, my main general, down into your land and I've sent him down to you so that he may be healed of leprosy. 
Verse 7, how did the king react? Did the king think, wow, this is an opportunity for God to show his power and for Syria to recognize, even though we're a small country, we actually are a great country because we are part of God's kingdom and this is a wonderful opportunity to show all the nations around us how great our God is. Is that what the king does? No. It came to pass, verse 7, when the king of Israel read the letter that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends me to recover a man of his leprosy? See, that's the problem. So often when crisis, when trouble, when events hit our life, we look at ourselves and we see our limitations and we say, there's no way this can be accomplished. I'm too weak. And we forget that the Bible says when we are weak, God is strong. The king, who as king should be helping all the nation realize that they are to look to God, the king instead looked at himself and his weakness, and he just, to use a common sort of phrase, he freaked out. He literally freaked out because he realized there's no way I can heal this guy of this leprosy. And so the king gets afraid, and he rents his clothes. Wherefore, and so he, he rents his clothes, and, and, and look what he says. He goes on and says, he sends me to recover a man of his leprosy, verse 7. Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeks a quarrel against me. He said, this must be a trick. He has sent him down here to be healed of his leprosy. We're not going to be able to heal him. He's going to die. This, this general is going to die. And that's going to give them an excuse to invade our land. And it was so, verse 8, that when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent, he sends a messenger, a servant to the king, and said, Why? Wherefore, why hast thou rent? Why have you rent your clothes? Let him, he says, I've heard about this name and guy. Let him come now to me. And he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Verse 9. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot. Can you imagine this? I mean, imagine, imagine if Barack Obama or Donald Trump uh, rolled into Cookville. And, 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 the, and the limousines and the secret service men and the entourage and all the politicians in our town that were trying to, that would try to be brown-nosing them and, and everybody wanted to get around. Can you imagine the colossal mess that it would be? So imagine, here's this little prophet in Samaria and he's down there and he says, send him on to me. Can you imagine? I mean, we have television so we at least have some concept of, uh, of what it looks like when the big boys show up because we see it on TV. Imagine if you're in a world with no television, you don't ever see things like this and all of a sudden here comes the mighty Syrians with their horses and with their chariots and with all their wealth and they're rolling through your little small towns. Well they roll through. Verse 9, Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and he stood at the door of the house of Elisha. So like, I will pick on Connor, we always pick on you. Connor, if, if the president shows up at your house and knocks on the door, what do you do? You an, everybody says you answer the door because he's the president. He's the power. You don't disrespect him. You don't put him off. You don't do that. Well, what does the man of God do? Look at what verse 5 says. Does Elisha come running out the door? Does Elisha go and tell him how great it is to have him, how awesome he is? All these, which, by the way, he was. The Bible's told us. Does he go and tell him all that? Though? No. 
Verse 10, Elisha sent a messenger. He doesn't even go himself. He sent a messenger unto him and said, he just, the just go out there and tell him this is what he needs to do. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times. The dirty, I mean, Jordan River, it's not really that impressive. It's muddy. There's all kind of mud. There's some places they're not, but most of it just this muddy, muddy river. And he says, go and tell him to wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall come again to you. It'll be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was wroth. Important people do not like to be treated this way, especially if they have journeyed all the way to this town to see this little bitty prophet in this little bitty nation. He was wroth. That is a way of saying he is infuriated. And he went away. And he said, Behold, I thought surely he will come out to me. Surely this prophet, I've come all this way, surely he will come out to me and stand. I thought he'd surely come and stand and maybe call on the name of the Lord his God and maybe strike his hand over the place where I'm sick and he would recover me of the leprosy. Are not Abana and Parfar the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? And the fact is, from a human standpoint, they were. They were better rivers. They were much better places. He says, if I was going to have to get in the water, in a river, he could have at least said, you know, he could have said, hey, uh, it'd be like, in, it'd be like in, in America, right? You'd go get in the Mississippi. That's the great big river. You don't tell him to go get in the Caney Fork. I mean, you don't do that. That's what you tell him to do. Well, he, he says, come on. He leaves and he's angry. He says, the prophet didn't come see me. And I know the rivers of Damascus, they're better than all the waters of Israel. May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Now this is very important because he's a good man. He's an honorable man. But like all of us, he is tempted of his own pride. And this is a warning to you, just because you are good and honorable and right, you need to be careful because you can let your pride get in the way between you and what God's word says to do. So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and they spoke unto him. Now he's got some good friends. And, this is, this, and I think it's because he's a good guy. The good thing about being the good, honorable kind of guy is, is these people want to see him healed. They're not praying that he will die. They're not going to be satisfied if he disappears. They want him to stay alive. And his servants came near and they spoke unto him. They said, my father... If the prophet had bid you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? If he'd have told you to climb mountains, if he'd have told you to walk barefoot across the deserts, if he'd have told you to stay up uh, for three or four days and nights in a row, would you not have done it? He said, if the prophet had bid you to do some great thing, would thou, would you not have done it? How much rather then, when he says to you, wash and be clean? Verse 14, he listened. He listened. Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the sayings of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. If you want to be cleaned by the Lord God today, say amen. Here in our text today, we see that some people have it all together, at least it looks like they do. 
Some people look like they have it all together. Athletes, rich people, spoiled people. The devil loves to make us envious of others, and our sinful nature is more than happy to play along. And in verse 1, we see Naaman has got to be the kind of guy that people love, but are also envious of. He's a great man. His master respects him. He's honorable, and the Lord God himself had ensured that this pagan guy won a great victory for his nation. If you've been watching the cabinet hearings, you've seen there's one guy that most of them respect. There's all this back and forth on a lot of them. But there's one guy most of them respect, and they call him Mad Dog Mattis. Mad Dog Mattis. And uh, he intrigues a lot of people. If you haven't been watching, you should go look him up. He intrigues a lot of people because in a day when there's so much polarization, he's the one guy in the room, it seems like, that everybody recognizes in these tumultuous times. Everybody recognizes, we need to listen to what this man says. Whether you agree with everything he says or not, it's just interesting to see there's one guy, Mad Dog Mattis, this great general that everybody kind of recognizes. We need to pay attention to him. In fact, they voted, and both sides voted to do this. They voted to change the rules so that he could, he hasn't been out of the military long enough to have the position in the government. They actually voted this week, both sides, to change the rules so that he could do it. That's the kind of guy that's like, I need to, I want to pay attention to this guy. Naaman is sort of like that guy. Naaman is the guy in his nation that is a top-notch guy. They know this in Israel as well. They recognize there's something about this man that is different than everybody else. He's the kind of guy that you love, but are also maybe a little envious of. But like a lot of people were envious of. In fact, probably like everyone you've ever been envious of. Naaman has a hidden problem, but it's not hidden anymore. He has an issue that's going on in his life that I can imagine for a while when that leprosy, that skin disease, by the way, leprosy in the Bible can mean more than just leprosy as we know it. That was really in the Old Testament a catch-all phrase for any skin disease that was taking over your body because they did not have cures for most of the skin disease because they couldn't do that. They knew that your flesh was going to eventually just, just eat and fall away. This is a picture of a person with leprosy. See this? Now, you can try to hide that at first, and that's not extreme yet. You can hide that at first, but when the skin disease starts to take over, you eventually cannot hide it. And some of you today have issues you're dealing with, sins that you're dealing with, problems that you're dealing with, and you've been hiding them, but here's the thing. Eventually, you won't be able to hide them. And so he has this huge problem. Naaman does leprosy, a disease in the ancient world, that is pretty much the equivalent of AIDS today. If people know you have it, whoo, they're a little worried. Still a little scared. Little, little social outcast. It's not just the disease itself, but it's the social issues or problems that it brings in your life. Now today, your life may be like Naaman's in that you're hiding some things. You may not be famous. You may not be... Uh, spoiled, you may not have all the things that Naaman has, but maybe you're hiding a secret. For some of you, maybe you're like the little servant girl. I mean, what I love about this story and what God often does to confound us and to show us that it was His work and not just something we drummed up or dreamed up, I love this in the text because this servant girl is the exact opposite of everything Naaman is. He's wealthy, she's poor. He's respected, she's a slave. 
He's an adult male, the pinnacle of the ancient world. She is a young girl, the bottom level, a slave young girl, the bottom of the ancient world. But she knows something that Naaman doesn't know. She knows the power of God. She knows God's power. And she has faith in God. And she has trust in God. And and this is going to be amazing one day to, to, to... I mean, I assume through her faith that is shown here that this is a young girl that is part of God's covenant people. And I can't wait. I mean, I don't know exactly how heaven's going to be. We don't know everything. Come, come to Revelation study, you'll see some things we do know. But I just hope, I mean, I just hope that in heaven, and I got to believe that in some way we're going to meet these heroes of the faith. And this is one little girl I can't wait to meet because she was in slavery, taken from her family, taken for her people. And yet when she has an, an, a chance to get revenge on her master and just let him die. Instead of doing that, he is sick and she knows the answer. And she says, I know if we could just get him to where God's power is, where God is, where the prophet is, if we could just do that, he'll be okay. If you are glad for the love of God, say amen. So this little girl is the opposite of Naaman, but she knows God. And so, no, she doesn't tell Naaman if we could just get him to Canada to, 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 to get with some experimental drugs that they're trying out out there that they haven't released over here yet. She doesn't go that route. She says, if we could get him, if we could get him to the prophet. Listen, desperately sick people are willing to try all sorts of things to get better. And Naaman is even willing to go to Israel on the advice of a slave girl He is so desperate for a transformation in his life that he will even listen to a young slave girl and go into this small, insignificant nation to see if it is true that the power of God is there. Maybe you need a change. And this morning, you're maybe at least a little bit like Naaman, you're open to trying things God's way. Well, Naaman's story, and what I want to focus on this week, And next week we'll go a little further on into the story and we'll focus on some other things. But this week I want to tell you, if you are desperate for God and you are desperate for that change and you are desperate for what only He can give, you better be careful because there are some roadblocks that the enemy is going to throw in your path. Trust me, He is going. It's a spiritual battle. He is going to put those roadblocks there. I want to just quickly show you three roadblocks that Naaman faced and he almost... He almost missed out on the transforming power of God. And I want you to see these roadblocks today so that you do not go down a path. God has given us this so you don't go down this path where you almost miss out on God's transforming power. First roadblock. First roadblock name and face was the roadblock of social pride or social customs. Look back at verses 9 and 10. What happens? So Naaman came with his horses, with his chariot. He stood at the door at the house of Elisha. Elisha sent a messenger unto him. Elisha sends a messenger. Elisha does not come out to the mighty conquering warrior. He doesn't even address him. He sends a servant. This is socially unacceptable. It's the kind of thing when you're sitting around the dinner table and you're talking about the person at the store that was acting like an idiot or at the ball game, the person that was acting out of line and, 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 and your mama looks at you and she goes, that just ain't right. Well, my mama wouldn't say ain't. She'd say, that's just not right. That's just not right. You just don't behave that way. And your dad looks at you and your dad says, if I ever catch you doing that, 
I don't care how old you are. You know how people do that? This is that. This is, you don't do this. This is not right. This is not how you treat this sort of authority figure. And Naaman knows this and he's insulted by it. Can I, can I just make this like, you know, we, we all need to grab a hold of this. Now, I'm not talking about sinful things, but we need to understand something. There are things the Bible says are sin, and then there are things that our society just comes up with, and every society does this, that you do and don't do. God cares a lot about sin. And if you're engaged in sin, God will not trifle with sin. He doesn't care what society you live in. He doesn't care what anybody in your family thinks. He doesn't care what you think. God is not going to trifle with sin. Amen? But when it comes to social customs, if you read the Bible, God could care less. Now, in the New Testament, Paul does say we need to be aware of them to minister effectively so we don't just go acting however because we're supposed to be spreading the gospel. That's our primary concern. So we do need at times to be aware of social customs, but you need to know something. You read the Bible, God cares about sin, but if your social custom is getting in the way of what he wants done, God could care less about your social custom. He cares way more about reaching sinners. And that is good news. That is good news that God cares more about healing sinners than he does about social pride and social customs. So Elisha doesn't come out. He doesn't play by any of the social rules. And you're going to see why in a minute, why I think this is. He doesn't do any of the social rules. And I want to warn you, there might be some social roadblocks to you hearing God's word. Oh, come on. Uh, society, society says now that I can do whatever I want. And that's what society basically tells us. You can do whatever you want. Unless it violates two or three things they've come up with. I can't go to church and listen to the word of God. I can't follow Jesus. I can't do this because he's a master and he's calling me to a way of life and I have to become a disciple and that's not... Like, look, you, our pinnacle of success is nobody tells me what to do. I can't follow Jesus. That's not socially acceptable anymore. That's, that, that kind of stuff's for, for, for old people. That's not for me. Let me tell you, you better not let social expectations keep you from the change that only God can give. Because let me tell you, your society can put a lot of expectations on you and they can make up a lot of rules for you. But you know what this society and no society do? Society cannot save you. It can shackle you and at times it can help you. But only Jesus can save you. Students, listen, they're going to be, and there already are, and you're already aware of this, there are a lot of increasing things that if you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to be socially unacceptable because the world has called wrong right and right wrong. And there's going to be a lot of pressure for you to socially conform. And I just want to encourage you, do not conform because this world will take your joy away from you that God gives. It will take it and it will destroy it if you start down a path of sin of trying to be socially acceptable. You need to be more and more concerned, not of being socially acceptable, but being acceptable in the eyes of God and as a part of the kingdom of God. And so there's this social roadblock. What's the second roadblock? There's the social roadblock, but there's also the religious roadblock. Look at verses 10 and 11. Keep going. Elisha sent a messenger out and said, Go and wash the Jordan seven times. Your flesh will come again to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was wroth, and he went away and said, Behold, I thought surely, surely he would come out to me. 
and stand and call upon the name of his God. And he would take his anointed prophet hand and he would wave it over me and I would recover from the leprosy. He has religious expectation of what rituals need to take place. He knows what sort of performance needs to be done. He knows how the game works. Naaman, like a lot of us, is really saying, God, I know, I know how you're supposed to perform your power. And God, I know, and I want, I, and this is a way of saying I'm in control. I know how you're going to do this. And yet God does not do it that way. Naaman thinks he knows better. My friend, can I just say this? You don't know better. God's Word knows better. God's Word. And I love our church, and I love the people in it. But if it comes down to things that are clearly, and there are a lot of things that are real clear, that are clearly taught in God's Word versus what you have decided and what rules you want to play by against God's Word. And, and, I, and I know I'll come up short, and that's why we have other people in the church that, that help on things. But let me just, let me just put it this way. Things that, are, things that aren't clear, I want to have a lot of grace, but things that are clear between God's Word and your opinion, God's Word is going to win every time the best I can help it. Every time. And some things are just clear. Some things are just clear. This is not right. And you don't get to decide how you want to do it, and you don't know better. God knows better. And there is a religious roadblock here because He thinks He knows better. And this almost keeps him from experiencing the transformative power of God. We have a problem. We know better than God about raising children. The Bible says, spare the rod and spoil the child, but we know better. It's never our child's fault. It's always somebody else's fault. We know better than God. We know better than God. The Bible says the love of money, which is the pursuit of money, meaning that money consumes everything about you, is about getting money and how you treat people, is based on money. And what decisions you make about your career is always just based about money. And what you do with the Lord's work is always revolving around what you think about money. The Bible says the love of money is revealed, but we know better because we know if we have money, people give us more respect. And we know if we have more money, we're able to influence other people. The Bible says to beware of gluttony. And yet we harm our bodies again and again by indulging just one more time, even though we know we know. We know we don't need any more sugar. I don't, I'm preaching myself now. I, my wife got, she was telling me this morning. Like, look, you know, there's only, the human body's only meant to have so much sugar. And we live in a world where sugar, 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 sugar causes diabetes, diabetes, diabetes. And my wife being a good wife, she's like, honey, you got to, you know, be careful. Well, I know my wife's preaching the truth to me because the Bible says beware of gluttony. And there are a lot of ways that can go. And one way gluttony knows is when you know that you don't need any more of that, you trust God enough to say, God, you're going to help me and I'm going to put that down and I'm not going to do it anymore. Here's the thing God knows. Here's what he knows about me. Everybody look right here and look in my face. You guys are doing a great job. Look in my face, everybody. Here's the difference between you and me and God. In this society, it is acceptable for me, it is acceptable for me to engage in gluttony and it's acceptable for me to eat those little Debbie cakes over and over again that Laura bought for the boys, but I can't keep my hand out of. That's acceptable. 
But if I know that it's bad for me and I keep doing it over and over again and I'm such a glutton that I can't keep my hand out of that and I don't believe God enough to stop, here's just between me and God. God looks at me and He says, I've told you not to engage in gluttony. That is a sin. But the world says that's okay. But here's the difference between me and God. I'll turn around and look my nose down on the one that has a drug problem and keeps going back to it over and over and over again and I will look my nose down upon them because they cannot stop. And you know the difference between me and God is God looks at my gluttony and God looks at that one addicted to drugs and He says, you're both guilty. Amen, church? Just be real. God looks at it both. And He says, you're both guilty. You both have sinned. But thankfully, God looks at the drug person and He looks at my gluttony and He says, but I tell you what, I'm willing to forgive both of you. I'm willing to forgive all of you. So our religious game, right? We know how the game's supposed to work. We know what the preacher's supposed to say. We know what the choir's supposed to sing. We know how it's supposed to go. But God says, no, no, no. The man of God doesn't even go outside and address him. He does not wave his hand. He does none of that. The Bible tells us to pray and seek God first. To pray and to seek His will What we do is make our plans and make our decisions and then say, God, bless our plans because like Naaman, we know better. By the way, I think, put this in a little bracket here, I think the reason that Elisha does not do any of this, the reason that Elisha does not go out and make a big spectacle of himself is because Elisha knows this may be a a once-in-a-lifetime experience for the Syrians to learn about the true God. And Elisha seems way more concerned about them knowing it was the power of God that was doing this than anything that he was doing. And so Elisha doesn't go make a spectacle. And Elisha doesn't doesn't, doesn't go out and do the hand. And he doesn't do that and do this. He just says, go to the river. He's not even going to be there. He says, go and do this. And that's an act of obedience. He's saying, he's saying to him, if you will be obedient to the true God, you will be Cured, and I don't even have to be there. Which that's good news because people will let you down. But if you trust God, He will never let you down. So He's not going to play the game. Because too many times we play the religious game, it becomes about us. And it becomes about our performance. And it becomes about what we're doing. And Elisha does none of this. He has a chance for the Syrians to know that there is a God in Israel. There is a God on the throne. And this God, He can cure more than just the Jews. He can cure all the people of the world from what is breaking them and killing them. But there's religious roadblocks. And there's social roadblocks. 2 Thessalonians 3, 4 This is a strong word, and you may wonder why the Bible is this strong. Listen to this now. This is the Word of God, not Charles Cook. 2 Thessalonians 3, 4 says, If any man obey not our word, if any man obey not our word by this epistle, this means a believer who knows what God's Word says, and they're persistent in their disobedience. If any man believe not our word by this epistle, note that man or note that woman and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Why does God's word say that? 
Because God's Word knows that when we disobey God, we bring death upon ourselves. That is not about being mean. That is not about being hateful. That is not about not being long-suffering. That is about the one who is deep in sin. There comes a point. There comes a point where you have to say, this sin is going to kill you. And I cannot enable this sin. And I cannot promote this sin because we see leprosy on the outside. But there is the sin on the inside that God sees. And there comes a point where you have to say to that one. Now, this is, this is talking as church leadership, church body, as the church, the church functions. And he's saying, look, there comes a point when you have to say, that is not, we're not going to pretend that that's okay. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Naaman can't believe that he has to go dip in a river. He can't believe that God's word would say that, much less the muddy, dirty Jordan River. Do not let social pride and do not let your religious pride get between you and what God's word says is necessary for salvation. There's social pride, there's religious pride, and finally there's personal pride. There's personal pride. Personal pride almost keeps Naaman from a changed life. Did you notice all the money that Naaman took with him? Thousands of talents of silver and, and of gold. Naaman is going to get God's favor by paying for it. He's going to take what he's earned by being a good warrior for the king and a good leader. He's earned that. And so he's going to cash in all his good works and turn it into money. And so he's taking, really he's taking his good works, he's going to take his good works down to Israel, and he's going to cash in, and he's going to buy his salvation. But my friends, you cannot buy your salvation, you cannot earn your salvation, you can only be given salvation by God. It is grace. It's grace. Grace by faith. He thinks his pride has convinced him. And we wouldn't even really call that bad pride, right? I mean, he's a good guy. He's an honorable guy. He's a mighty man. He has earned all this wealth. And so what's so bad about taking the best that you've got and going and, and saying, hey, God, I've done all this. Can I cash these chips in? And, and now you do this for me? Naaman almost missed out because our pride and our good works are filthy rags before the Lord. He almost missed out. Elisha doesn't go to see him. And Elisha doesn't play the game. And you're going to see next week that Elisha doesn't take the money. <laughs> he doesn't take it. And you're going to see why. He won't play to his personal pride. He won't play to his religious pride. He won't play the social custom game. All Elisha will do is make sure that everybody knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that it is the power of God that saves. This morning I want to encourage you just obey God's Word. Just listen to God's words. Some of it, yeah, I agree, sometimes it's hard to know. But can I tell you, I believe 90 to 95% of what you ought to do in life is clear in the Bible. It amazes me the people that come sometimes and you talk about what you should do. And God's Word's pretty clear. The problem is we don't want to do it because we know better. Can I encourage you today? One thing we should learn from Naaman is just do what God's Word says. If you're physically sick, listen to what God's Word says. If you are physically sick, Psalms 91, 1-4 says this, 
He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. If you are sick, I encourage you in your sickness, go to the Lord. Verse 2, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him will I trust. Is it okay to do medicine? Well, sure, a lot of times. Is it okay to go to the doctor? Yes, the Lord uses doctors. But can I encourage you, rest under His shadow and let God be your refuge and fortress. And when the devil tries to steal that joy from you and say, no, 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 do not trust God. It's not going to work out if you trust Him. You need to go to passages like this and pray with the passage, in my God and Him will I trust. Surely He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers and under His wings shall you trust. His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. Verse 5, you shall not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day. My friend, I encourage you to listen. Psalm 91.15 says, He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him, God says, and honor him. Satisfy and show him my salvation. If you are sick, I encourage you to look and to Trust God as you walk through your sickness. Do you have sin that is crushing your spirit? Look at what the Bible says. Brother Rick, show him this slide. Look at what God's Word says in Proverbs 28. If you are spiritually sick, the Bible says confess and forsake. He that covers his sin shall not prosper. One that lies about his sin, deceives himself about his sin, shall not prosper. But whoso confesses and forsakes, the one that forsakes them, that forsakes his sin, then notice that, confess and forsake, the one that confesses and forsakes them, shall have mercy. Have you never trusted in Christ? Are you more focused on doing it your way? Well, God's Word says in Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is a simple dish. It's simple, but it's my favorite thing because I love the way it tastes and its simplicity doesn't make it any less good. In fact, the simplicity adds to just how much I enjoy it. Some of you have got your talents and you've got your silver and you've got your gold. And you've got your pride. You've got your social expectations. You know what everybody else expects you to do. And I just want to encourage you today, don't let all those things keep you from God and from what God's Word says. God's way really is a simple way. It is listen, believe, and follow. Trust and obey. Just trust and obey, for there is no other way. Naaman is a guy who almost missed out. I love the children's song. But sometimes the children's song, we get so focused on the Duncan, you better be careful because you miss out on that Naaman almost didn't experience any of this. But he had some friends that spoke up, and some friends that said, whoa, Naaman. Naaman, if it was all this really hard stuff, you would do it. So why in the world are you so prideful and arrogant that you won't just do the simple step required? If you're here today, if you're here today, do you know what the role of the preacher is? The role of your friends here that love you? 
our role. I'm not the prophet Elisha. And I'm certainly not Naaman, but you know what the role of the preacher is? It is to be just like those friends he has that said, I have no power, I have no ability. But would you just listen to what God says? Would you just listen and do what the Word says? If you do that today, God's Word says, you will be made clean. If you believe God can cleanse you, say amen. He can. You're battling, you're struggling, you're like Naaman, you're in the struggle. And I encourage you today, put aside your social pride and your personal pride. Forget the religious game that we play. Forget all that. And you just come and confess to the Lord and ask Him for help on the next day of your journey. Stand with me this morning. Lord, what a great, powerful message, God, from this book of 2 Kings. Lord, thank You that Elisha was more concerned about Your name and Your power and Your glory than anything else. Lord, thank you that Naaman was on the, 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 the precipice of missing out on your blessings. But Lord, instead, instead, Naaman, because some faithful friends spoke the word to him, Naaman responded in faith. Lord, there are some people here today that are on the precipice of missing out on what God wants for them. They're going to miss out because they've allowed other things to cloud what God's word says. Lord, I pray today that there are those like Naaman who need cleansing and need healing, Lord, that they would come and that they would confess and that they would trust the Lord God. Lord, if there are people that are physically sick, that are having a hard time trusting You in their sickness, Lord, I pray today they would come and confess that, and that they would have a renewed spirit to look to You. Lord, if there are moms and dads, guardians that are depressed because their children making decisions that they know are sinful and it's hurting them, they don't know what to do. Lord, I pray that they would just, don't worry about any of us, Lord, that they would just come today and seek Your face and Your knowledge for what to do. Lord, if there are those that are beat up and beat down that need renewed life, Lord, I pray they would come and find it in You. And Lord, if there is a sinner that's never confessed Jesus, Lord, it's as simple as walking and confessing Your sin. Just confessing Your sin and trusting in the power of the cross. Lord, I pray today that you would use this time. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.